0: Chris, I'm going to come at you today with a bit of a reactionary take. I know, I don't even love doing reactionary takes, but what happened in the Chiefs-Bills game in overtime is yet the latest in a long line of examples that we need new NFL overtime rules and yes, this is what everyone's talking about, and people only talk about it when we get a great game that ends unsatisfyingly because of overtime. But this is the way things happen in the NFL. Look at like a few years ago in the playoffs when they absolutely blew that pass interference call in the Saints game. The next year, coaches could call pass interference or coaches could challenge pass interference. It's not the best example, I know, because that was a disaster and no one knew what the rules were and it didn't work, but my point is that the NFL doesn't change things until a high-profile incident forces them to. Everyone listening knows that the ending to Chiefs-Bills was disappointing, especially for me, who was ride or die on the Bills to the Super Bowl. You don't need me to tell you that. That's not the point of this. But when you play as well as Josh Allen did, and your biggest mistake all night is calling tails... That's not fair, and it just leaves the viewer feeling unsatisfied after watching one of the greatest games ever played. And the worst part is that the answer is right in front of them. The college football slash CFL overtime rules, they're very similar, are perfect. You start at a designated yard line. The first team goes, they can get in. The other team has to match it or improve on it. No kickoffs, no punts just going out there and trying to score points and the defense is trying to stop them. It's amazing football. It always works out so well in college and in the CFL. It's so much fun. And people say, oh, defense is the part of the game. Like you have to make, the bill should have made a stop if they wanted to win. Then make both teams play defense to win. These rules, both teams have to play defense to win. So if defense is a part of the game, force the Chiefs to play defense too. There's no argument To keeping the rules the same way they are. Change them.
1: But this podcast isn't over because it's time for another high floor, low ceiling. And welcome to High Floor, Low Ceiling, another wonderful week. I'm joined here by Griffin. Griffin, how are you today?
0: I'm, I'm okay, Chris. <laughs> you
1: seem distraught.
0: <laughs> the Bills. The uh, poor yes. Buffalo Bills. I'm not even a Bills fan. Like uh, Anyone from Toronto has a soft spot for the Bills, I think most mm-hmm. people. They are sort of our local team when we have none. And, oh, the poor Bills. You know, it's no secret to our listeners, I thought they were going to win the Super Bowl. I still think they might. Um <laughs> Yes, you you
1: lost some momentum there on your bills to the Super Bowl. I mean, I I do feel like part of it was just coming from us successfully predicting something for once.
0: Oh yeah, we were that really pumped. We so really tires.
1: we really had all our chips behind the bills. But let's just, let's jump right into it here because I mean, obviously that's what everyone has been talking about, uh, not just in NFL things but in sports in general because it was a crazy crazy weekend. Uh, I mean, four fantastic games, four games that went down to the last possession. Um, but let's jump into the the Bills and Chiefs here. Um, the the big sort of telling thing for me is that no team, or neither team, ever led by more than nine points. Like this was a very tight contest the whole way down. Um, and the big thing that I want to start off with is, I mean, you, especially in the fourth quarter and you know, overtime, but. We talked about how the Chiefs didn't really look like they were a world-beating offense, that they, they looked good, but not the same sort of elite level that we had been used to seeing from them. But I feel like they showed pretty clearly in this game, and in that fourth quarter especially, how if you have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, you can create a big play pretty much whenever you want. And that's what they did down the stretch there.
0: Yeah, exactly. That trio... Like, you gotta. I want to look at the Chiefs' salary cap. I have no idea how they have those three guys. Maybe the best tight end in the league, probably the best quarterback in the league, a top five wide receiver. They're so good and so tough to beat, even for the best defense in football in the Buffalo Bills, that it really boggles the mind. And when they are firing on all cylinders like this, which they weren't earlier in the season, and that was when. Everyone was wondering, what's wrong with the Chiefs? Yeah, they're firing on all cylinders again. Uh, it's t- tough to imagine them losing. And what really stood out to me, I saw someone point out online after the game, is that obviously we had four amazing games this weekend. But th- the first three were great games, really close. And like there were turnovers in the end and big penalties that kept swinging it. But this game... In the entire game, four quarters and overtime had no turnovers and just four penalties. Like this was just two teams at not only was it a great game because they were both playing at the same level, they were both playing at near perfection. More than 75% of the passes in this game were completed. Like it was crazy. I can't get over it. It was maybe the best football game I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, people talk a lot about that Rams-Chiefs uh, regular season game, which was crazy as well. But I mean, like, it I think it speaks to how crazy this game was that Gabriel Davis had 200 yards and four touch. He, he set the NFL playoff record for the most receiving <laughs> touchdowns in the game. And that's, like, probably the third or the fourth thing that people talk about with this yeah. game. <laughs> like, I we didn't even have it written down on, like, our outline here because there's so much to talk about. Um, And then on the flip side, 150 yards for Tyreek Hill, 96 yards for Travis Kelsey. Um, And then I think, you know, the the other big thing is that their sort of ancillary options on offense I thought really came up for them uh, because I think it was their first touchdown drive. Patrick Mahomes rushed for something like 40 yards on three carries. Um, And obviously if he's making plays with his legs, that's a huge element that adds, uh, adds on for them as well. And then, do you see that that Meikle Hardman touchdown, the the rushing touchdown?
0: Hell yeah, I did. That was very <laughs> impressive.
1: Yeah, like I mean, like, when I sort of had the thought after that play that I was like, oh, like, Michael Hardman kind of is a bit of a Debo Samuel kind of player, not to... Uh, yeah, like the not- physical
0: profile, I know what you mean.
1: Yeah, exactly, like the speed, and like, yeah. So I think that maybe they took a play out of the... Uh, the Niners handbook and sort of using him in that way. And then obviously, like, if you're adding that dimension to it, if you've got like a poor man's Devo Samuel in addition to all the other weapons you have and that quarterback, like I mean, they, they scored, you know, we talked about this being two solid defenses matching up together, but this was a the Chiefs score 42 against the Bills. Obviously they had overtime as well, but 36 in regulation. And I think that, that you know, how how can you not say that they Deserve to win at least as much as the Bills, probably because oh, the Bills absolutely. had a fantastic game as well.
0: Yeah, the Chiefs played near perfect offensive football. Like, there's no taking that away from them. And some of those moments, like specifically the one that comes to mind, is Tyreek Hill throwing up the deuces as he's 15 yards out from the end zone. You watch that and you think, how does this team ever lose to anyone? <laughs> like, yeah. with the amount of talent they have on the offensive side of the ball. But the Bills hung right with them and uh, didn't throw to Stefan Diggs at all and somehow still managed to score 36 points. So, a very impressive display on both ends. Yeah, I, I didn't
1: think. But, I mean, I think the big thing is that, like, the Bills' ability to match touchdowns a with Bills-ity. the Chiefs. Yes, their ability Sorry. to. <laughs> no, no. Uh, to match touchdowns to the Chiefs, like that, I think, you know, like, you can argue that. Kansas was able to hang 36 on them, They're like that maybe shouldn't have been even been a game. But the Bills kept coming up with those big plays down the stretch, um, and and then at the very end on the last session of regulation, I, I, you know, we were talking in a group chat, in fact, and someone said like, did they leave too much time on the clock with 12 seconds left? And I was like, no, this would be a huge collapse to give up that like amount of yardage in that amount of time. But then I didn't consider that the Chiefs, I think. Had at least two timeouts i think maybe all three um but the, you know they had their timeouts and they were very much able to drive down uh and get into field goal range there that i think it was a big uh, tyree kill catch that sort of put them in range but uh i'm curious because i think if there is one thing to point to as like why did the bills lose their decision to like play prevent defense and give up big chunks of yardage at the end of the game like if that's if there's something to point to, I think it would be that, right?
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Thirteen seconds is the new wide right in Buffalo. <laughs> like that, by all accounts, that game is over. As many people pointed out online, that was less time than it took for Dak Prescott's QB run to end that last game. <laughs> right. Chiefs had less time than that, but yeah, you're right. They did have all three timeouts, and the first play was a uh played a hill where they got blockers out in front and then the second one was a big gain to Travis Kelsey but yeah the bills were very passive on that last defensive possession which i get to an extent you can do that on the first play i think when you don't want to give you just gave up a huge touchdown the last time the chiefs were out there but the second play when they're only like 15 yards out from field goal range and you're only up by 3 They let Kelsey get wide open because, yeah, like we said, so passive. So the Bills, definitely some questions on defense. I don't hate – a lot of people were wondering with their hindsight after the game why they kicked it out for a touchback and didn't try and squib kick it and take a few extra seconds off the clock, but I didn't hate that because it's Tyreek Hill back there. He's already burned you on a punt and a uh, big catch, and because – like you don't want to kick it short because you don't want to give the Chiefs a short field because they only need a field goal. So I didn't hate that decision to kick it out the back of the end zone considering there were only 13 seconds left. Yeah, but that was where the game was lost. Those two big catches by Hill and Kelsey. with yeah,
1: And then there was that other return as well. I forget when exactly it came in the game, but I believe it was in the fourth quarter where you had Tyreek Hill returning and then they like he, he sort of didn't get a ton out of it. And then they replayed the the punt, I believe it was. It was yeah. down punt. And then he like ripped off a huge run off the bat. So like that was like, you know, it it was like really things that small, like replaying a punt that I feel like made a difference at, at the end of the day here because it was such a close game. Um obviously the overtime thing you uh you discussed earlier, and I think that's a a thing unto itself, but is there anything else that we need to look at here? Because, like, true, I mean, like, I think... Yeah, I mean, what can we say, say like, that
0: hasn't been said?
1: Yes, that is... Oh, I, I, one, one other thing I did... I uh, wanted to add on about the defense is something they pointed out on the broadcast, uh, which I thought was a great point, was that Buffalo was sending four rushers, which I, I was surprised by, because, you know, usually you usually think with prevent defense, you're sending three rushers, and then, you know, obviously having more focus on preventing big yardage gains and not really worrying about the pass rush but they were sending four rushers and and like uh they were saying on the broadcast like it didn't make a difference because Mahomes was having to get the ball out quickly anyways like he wasn't going to stand in the pocket regardless and so I thought that was a bit of a confusing decision on their part yeah, so um, bills were
0: also too aggressive on defense, both too <laughs> passive and too aggressive on those last thirteen seconds. I don't think but, that they. But yeah, take that lineman out and put a linebacker in the middle, and get another guy on Kelsey. Like,
1: yeah, and then and that was sort of kind of directly what caused that big play to Kelsey where he got open. So that was definitely a, a difference maker. But I mean, like we said, the the poor Bills. They, uh, you know, if if there was any, if there was ever a team that deserved to win a game that didn't win a game, I think they would uh, have to be on that list. Uh, But let's talk about the other team in the AFC, because I was saying to you earlier that, you know, this started out as being the game where, like, everyone was like, this is so crazy, what a crazy game, what a crazy way to end. And then it kind of ended up being the least (laughs) uh, interesting or, you know, it certainly was consequential, but, you know, one of the least talked about games of the weekend, certainly. Uh, The Bengals triumphing over the Titans nineteen sixteen. This this wasn't the game that we had the HFLC point on, did we? Or no? It oh, I,
0: uh, yeah, it actually was, Chris. I I'm sorry was. to tell you, you,
1: you were positive about the Bengals keeping it rolling after uh, that win against the Raiders last week, and I think you know, like we said, I'm not the best predictor. <laughs> I it might say something about my uh, analytical abilities in sports, but we won't worry about that too much. Uh, but. Last week, when I was talking to the Titans, I was saying this team is being a little underrated because you know they've never really had the opportunity to put their whole team together and you know see what the, they do with a complete roster. And then uh, in this game, they never really put it all together, and they never really had you know they had a complete roster on paper, but you know Derrick Henry was not his usual self. He was averaging something like three yards a carry, uh, and then. Cincinnati's defense, all over Ryan Tannehill, picked him off three times in pretty short order. This is a, you know, even though it was a three-point game, I was surprised that uh, Tennessee was still in it. And, you know, you can't really say that they did enough to win, certainly.
0: No, yeah, this one was... Like I was saying with the Bills and Chiefs, it was a great game because both teams were so perfect. This was a great game because both teams were at the same level, but obviously neither team firing on all cylinders in this one. Yeah, Derek Henry, if this had been week 12, no chance i think that he would be out there. But obviously the playoffs are a different beast and he wanted to get out there and help his team in whatever way he could. But, yeah, the Bengals' offensive line, nine sacks allowed. And that was a big concern when they drafted Jamar Chase, which obviously worked out great for them. But at the time, people are going to say, okay, that's great. But Joe Burrow is never going to be able to throw the ball to Jamar Chase because he's going to be on his back within two seconds every snap. And so that happened here. The Bengals were able to win despite somehow taking nine sacks, which just let me – nine sacks. That's so many sacks. (laughs) That's a lot. Um, yeah, sort of
1: shades of Deshaun Watson at times, uh, who, you know, I, I remember giving up a ton of sacks in playoff games and things like that. Yeah, bro. I, I think he, you know, other than the sacks, which are obviously he can't entirely intri- attribute to him. I thought he was pretty solid. He was 28 for 37, three, about 350 yards, uh, no touchdowns and a pick. So, you know, not much of the scoring categories, but, uh, I thought he played a solid game and it is interesting because. You know, on one hand, they would not, it's fair to say they would not be where they are right now if they didn't have Jamar Chase, right?
0: No, of course not.
1: Yeah, but then I think that this is something, and obviously it's been been a narrative his whole career, certainly, but, like, we are starting to get into worrying territory in terms of the amount of damage he's taking this early in his career, right? I mean, like, if... You don't want to think of, like, Andrew Luck and stuff like that, but, like, I feel like that's just naturally what you think of.
0: Yeah, it is a concern for sure. A guy who missed most of his rookie season and now comes back and takes nine sacks in a playoff game. Frank Clark is going to eat him alive next week if the Bengals can't figure something out.
1: Yeah, that will be uh, a tough matchup for them for sure. But, yes, obviously this was a pretty tight game throughout, and then he had that finish... uh, Crazy finish where they set up for the uh, they threw the pick, uh, did the Titans, and then the Bengals set up for that was it a 50 52 yard field goal by a rookie kicker Evan McPherson who was the the big hero of the day and the big uh, talking point of the day. How what were your feelings uh, for that field goal? Like I feel like I was torn between like the 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 narrative juices behind them. This is the Bengals' year. They're, they're, they're starting to feel a little Team of Destiny-esque, if I can borrow a Bill Simmons uh, piece of phraseology. But at, on the other hand, it would be a very Bengals' loss to miss a potential game-winning field goal and then lose in overtime.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Bengals do find a way to bangle things up. Um, but yeah, when that kick went up, if I'm remembering correctly, although I might be getting all my game winning field goals jumbled up from this weekend. Yeah, but I don't think he did, but I mean, this was definitely a 3 weekend for
1: best field goals. So <laughs> let's look forward now. <laughs> let's look forward now to the AFC championship game. I mean, this worked out about as well as you could ask for for Kansas City, right? Like, they got past Buffalo. Let me look at the playoff rack here because they would have ended up. In that matchup, regardless, right? As long as the Bills won, so the Chiefs—they, I think—they always would have ended up against the Bills. But then, you know, but I guess between the Titans and the Bengals, like they probably don't have a, too much of a preference, right? Yeah.
0: No, like, yeah, they, those you got think are
1: pretty that... much on the same level. You'd say like pretty average. Ab- I mean, like almost, you know, if the Patriots had gone this far, I'd probably be more worried about playing the Patriots and I would the Titans or the Bengals but maybe that's uh maybe that's disrespectful on my part
0: no I know I get where you're coming from just even the legacy of the New England Patriots and that's another reason you should feel good this year Buffalo you beat the Patriots good for you (laughs) hold that in your heart but yeah if you're Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs you're thinking Bengals Titans I can beat them both either way I wouldn't be too concerned
1: yeah, I, I it'll be interesting to see how that game shakes out because I think that after the game that Kansas City played, people are people are betting Bengals here. I don't think, but I mean, again, like in terms of narrative, again, you have people are talking about potentially setting up four quarterbacks of number one. Now you have three, and also Patrick Mahomes, who personally, I mean, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this, Griffin, because I've always been. Not a not a fan of LeBron James, but I've always been happy to see him win championships simply because I think it's cool to have like to have a kind of like titanic player of that caliber like just for for the history of the league. So, how do you feel about, you know, Patrick Mahomes potentially having two Super Bowls in his first what, 5 seasons or so as a starter? Um Are are you positive on that? Would you rather see a different person win every year? How do you feel about guys sort of stacking up their legacy in that regard?
0: I I do get where you're coming from because I've loved that with LeBron. And the only reason that I'm hesitant on Mahomes is that we just had it with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's been out of the playoffs for like three days. I'm not (laughs) ready for a new uh, dynasty just yet. So... Mahomes, like, no disrespect to him. He certainly could be. And if he is, that would be fun just because another thing they were talking about on the broadcast this week is there are so many good young quarterbacks in the AFC, especially. Mm-hmm. Just off the top of my head, you got Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, just like right. Mac yeah. Jones, of course, Tua Tagovailoa, Carson Bentz, <laughs> Zach, Wilson. Zach Wilson, Trevor
1: Lawrence. <laughs> just naming everything. <laughs> Oh, Trevor Davis Lawrence,
0: that's, that's a real one. Uh, yeah, that but is a real one. Baker Mayfield, Ben Roethlisberger. No, that's, that's, those are fake. Because, <laughs> yeah, every team in the AFC is going to be measured against the Chiefs for the foreseeable future, but there's so much good competition coming up for Mahomes in that AFC quarterback slot that I would love to see him as the gatekeeper, and he can get in some years, but not every year the way Brady did. Yeah,
1: and you know, I I do feel, I mean, it's it's a nice place to be in where I don't feel maybe it's because I don't have a super vested interest in NF, in the NFL because I don't have a team and things like that, but I feel pretty good about any of these four teams uh, winning a Super Bowl. But speaking of Brady, let's move on to our third game. We're jumping over to the NFC where the LA Rams took home that. Again, and like we said earlier, this was a uh, weekend where every single game came down to the last possession. This one was particularly insane.
0: This one was crazy. Um,
1: really should not have been uh, in the mix at all. But the Rams triumph over the Bucks, thirty to twenty-seven, and Griffin. You know our our viral Mike Evans uh, clip. It, I early on in the first half, I was like, this is great. Our finally our predictions are paying off. And then it kind of all went to, uh, to you know what, with that second half, which you know was just absolutely crazy. And you know, I, it's it's not like, it's it's not even a Tom Brady finds a way to win game because I don't think he had a particularly good game. It was no, really yeah, it was like, the
0: Rams trying to find a way to lose.
1: Yeah, and just like things bouncing into people's hands. Um, but let's let's talk about that first actually because. I feel like this is a game that you really can't analyze. Like, obviously, the Rams like had some extremely uh, deadly mistakes. Like, they gave up a touchdown very quickly. I think it was about thirty seconds uh, to bring it from twenty-seven thirteen to twenty-seven twenty towards the end of the fourth. And then that fumble was obviously uh, pretty deadly for the Rams and allowed the Bucks to tie the game. But you know, what what do you criticize there? Because I know people were talking about you know they shouldn't have put the ball in Cam Akers hands and maybe i'm wrong on this but like i don't feel like there's a particularly strong connection between like oh this guy had a fumble earlier in the game so don't hand him the ball he's going to fumble it again like does that really happen that much
0: yeah that is something that we see in the NFL sometimes is coaches not going back to a guy after he fumbles but fumble like an interception is usually a bad decision by the quarterback and a good play by the defender. Fumbles feel much more random than interceptions, so like you said, I don't think that Cam Akers is going to see a significant drop-off in touches against the 49ers next week or anything like that. One of them, the ball was just punched out by Jason Pierre-Paul, who's got like one of the most underrated defensive players of this last decade, I think. Yeah, so I think there will still be, like the Rams have three great running backs in Akers, Henderson, and Michelle, so there's always going to be some competition, and maybe it goes a little bit away from Akers next week, but I don't think he'll be riding the bench for the entire game or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I think they will have Henderson next week, so we'll see how that turns out for them. Um, but yeah, so so like, like we like we alluded to, Mike Evans, he had a really strong day, uh, Rob Gronkowski once again did his thing in the playoffs. Um, Leonard Fournette as well. Like, I mean, he, his rushing day, I think, was okay. But then, you know, nine catches for 56 yards. He was a big part of their game plan. I think it's fair to say that they got, you know, this this was the best possible game that the Bucks could have had, and they still lost, which I think speaks to what we were talking about. Like Because they, they did struggle to score, especially in the first half. They had three points at the half, and, you know, they had... A bunch of crazy things bounced their way, and I guess that, yeah, they could have definitely won, but it seems like they, they were almost never going to win this game, because they did get everything they really could out of all of their different personnel.
0: Yeah, but once it got close, didn't you think that Brady was going to find a way again? Like I I know that you're right that it never really se- like it se- it seems like one of those games where you put all of your effort into the comeback. The Raptors do it all the time. They put they go down by 20, they put all of their effort to get back to two and then can't close the gap. But I just watching it, I just felt so inevitable that Tom Brady was going to win again, and he didn't. So yeah, that just I- shows what I know.
1: I mean, I, I certainly understood the thought. I, I was in the camp, I was like, this is too crazy. Like, this this cannot happen. This is not legal. This is not, like, even if even Tom Brady who has had, like, miraculous comebacks, like, this is too miraculous. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I'm just looking at the sort of the play-by-play here because the Bucks had the touchdown to make it uh, 27-13. So they were down 14. And then... Here's the sequence for both teams, starting with the Rams. Punt, fumble, fumble, and both of those fumbles came on the first touch of the drive. Turnover on downs, missed field goal, turnover on downs, punt. And then you had that crazy ending sequence where it was touchdown, fumble, touchdown, field goal. Um, I, again, like it's sort of like what I was saying with Cam Akers. Like, you can't really analyze this game to some extent because it was just like, too crazy to really think rationally about it i feel like
0: yeah yeah imagine being sean mcveigh having to watch the film or kyle shanahan having to watch film on that for next week but speaking of kyle shanahan chris do you want to get into our very special fourth and final discussion
1: Yes, let's get into the final game of the weekend, and that was the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. Griffin, our underrating of the Niners perhaps continues, well, at least for you. The Niners taking it home 13 to 10. This was, well, I mean, every, <laughs> we've been saying this with literally every game this weekend, but this was a crazy game. Uh, and we are very pleased to bring on a our first, I'm going to call him a mini guest, uh, we will hopefully be how dare ha- you <laughs> we will hopefully be having him back uh, next week or maybe the week after to preview his Niners going into the super bowl uh, but from raptors republic and from 49ers fandom Kyle Brickman is here welcome Kyle
2: thanks for having me i'm going to we're going to have to talk about the mini de- guest designation later i think maybe off off mic well, it's just we're going to have to get into around. that Okay. (laughs) Oh, I'm on trial. I got
0: it. The better the 49ers play, the more minutes on the podcast you earn. Yeah, exactly. The Uh,
1: stakes
2: are tenfold.
1: Since they scored 13 points, we will give you 13 seconds. Uh, (laughs) But the game—I mean, the game—really, it was not a pretty game. I will say, Uh, not a lot of scoring, especially you know the second and third quarters. But I feel like you really come back to those two like big defensive stands by the Niners. And even bigger than the one, the the punt return touchdown, I feel like is at the end of the first half, Kyle. When the Packers get that interception, they get that huge Aaron Jones pass put in the red zone, and then they get sacked and then blocked on the field goal. I feel like that is like a huge swing in terms of keeping the Niners in the game, right?
2: Absolutely. I mean. This game was overshadowed by the uh, the Chiefs Bills game that you guys spoke about earlier, but really this would have been an all time classic game. And I guess like you said, you could say this about every game of the weekend, but this is a classic like old NFC Lambeau Field game, thirteen to ten. It's like a CFL score, um, and uh, just a great defensive matchup. And you're right; it all at the end of the day, it did come down to special teams, and it was like the the kind of talking head point all week was like. the Green Bay special teams are so bad it's going to swing the game and it's like I guess they're right I guess there's a reason all those people are employed they were right at the end of the day
0: yeah you never really think about special teams until a game swings on it but like yeah like you said you can really circle that as the difference maker and last week on the podcast Kyle Chris and I talked about how it's easy to forget that just two years ago, the Forty ers rode almost this same team to a Super Bowl. Does this? It it almost feels weird to be asking you if this feels like a similar team because it feels like a lifetime ago that last Super Bowl, even though it really wasn't.
2: No, it does feel like a similar team. I think, uh, really, the defense is actually maybe a little worse, and that was their calling card in twenty nineteen. I mean, they're they no longer have Richard Sherman, and they're. If we're being honest, those uh, those cornerback spots, especially when Ambry Thomas was out the rookie uh, third round pick last week, you know, they're playing Deontay Johnson, who's like a nine year practice squad guy or Josh Norman, who came in for two snaps and was targeted two consecutive times and then (laughs) instantly brought off the field and never came back again. He was completely banished. So the defense isn't exactly what it was. There, no... D Ford is out. Uh, DeForest Buckner has been shipped off to Indianapolis. So those are, you know, big losses, but that's kind of counterbalanced by the emergence of uh, Joe... uh, Nick Bosa, excuse me. Even I'm making that mistake. (laughs) The emergence of Nick Bosa... Um, The emergence of guys like really the pass rushers they found off the scrap heap like Arden Key was on the was like a late round pick from the Raiders did nothing and came over and is like wrecking defense or offensive lines for San Francisco. Um, So this is the foundation of the team of 2019. It's built on the same principle like excellent pass rush. Great, great linebackers. Same wide nine technique. But I don't know if the talent is the same. And maybe the Niners, uh, you know, kind of counterbalance that by having a way more dynamic offense. And Debo's like, was a rookie in 2019 and is, like, the man now. I don't know how else to describe him. He's <laughs> the number one offensive weapon maybe in the NFL, don't, depending on how you feel about Cooper Cup. But I think the foundation is mostly the same. And just to touch on the special teams part, the Niners aren't a good special teams team. In fact, <laughs> just the week before, they... Uh, gave up that fourth down conversion on a fake punt. They the one of their crucial losses down the stretch. The Seahawks they gave up another fake punt for a touchdown to Travis Homer, I believe it was. Like their special teams is really bad. The difference is that Green Bay's special teams is atrocious. They're thirty second in the league in in DVOA, so they're actually the worst special team in the league.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting situation because you know, like you know I feel like it's a very very tired truism to be like did the Niners win this game or did the Packers lose? But when you're talking about like a number one seed that scored 10 points at home, I feel like that is like a semi justifiable thing to ask because like Aaron Rodgers did not have a very good game. Uh, and obviously like they did, they did not score a lot. They had like what looked like they a really strong opening drive, that ended in the touchdown. Um, And then they just sort of fell off, and they scored three points the rest of the way. So, like, did did you see? I mean, it certainly looked like the Niners were like all over them, and obviously had those two huge stands. Did you see like the defense really clicking more today, or more uh, in that game than they did last week? Or what did you see there?
2: I think it's a combination of certain things. I've it always interests me that like. The Packers have, or this iteration of the Packers teams, these these Aaron Rodgers Packers teams have so much pride about playing at Lambeau when it's like, they're not, like, (laughs) Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers are California guys. And typically passing teams do not fare well in adverse conditions. Like, the advantage has always been to running teams, which are, like, is the definition of the Niners offense. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, terrible game, but he he's from uh he's from Illinois from like three he's basically three hours away from Green Bay like this is these Niners guys like George Kittles from Iowa like these guys are not uh scared of the cold weather so I was always I was a little surprised that home field advantage played such a big role in it because realistically the Packers couldn't get anything going on offense and part of that is I guess um the Niners defense, but I think a lot of it is the weather. Like these teams could not get anything going on either side and the Niners aren't exactly a bad offense either.
1: Yeah. It definitely looked like they, (laughs) both teams were struggling. Like you said, I mean, even the run game was not really that productive. Um, and then when Debo Samuel left for a little while because of that injury, uh, they looked even worse. Um,
0: do we want to turn our eyes forward? Yeah, we can definitely
1: turn our eyes forward. Uh, so, I was curious, Kyle, because, you know, you had that very close Rams-Bucks matchup. Obviously, you know, the final score makes it look a little closer than it was. But how do you feel about the Rams as a matchup with the Niners? Because, you know, even even though we talked last week about how Tampa was going to be a little depleted coming into that game, I mean, like, I feel like, not to be too cliche, but the fact that it was a three-point loss for them is sort of indicative of, of the fact that they find ways to stay in those kinds of games. So are you are you looking forward to the Rams? Are you happy about the Rams compared to Tampa? How do you feel about that?
2: I, I'd say as a Niners fan, I'd, I'll take the Rams all day. I'm sure you guys know it. I mean, Kyle Shannon is, is 6-0 and against McVeigh in the last six games. And Jimmy, I don't think, has ever lost to the Rams. Um, this team in Week 18 went into Los Angeles and came back from a 17-0 deficit at halftime. To win the game, and part of that was um, in SoFi Stadium, the Rams have less support than the Niners do. The Niners were running uh, California clearly, uh, and the the Rams were talking about having to use a silent count at home, which is really embarrassing. And uh, they've even gone as far—I'm not sure if you guys have read this—maybe it's just in my circles, but SoFi, at least uh, for you know the the first three or four days of ticket selling, limited it tickets to uh only people who are los angeles residents trying their absolute hardest to avoid a bunch of an, another niners invasion so i mean these guys know each other shanahan and mcveigh they you know he was shanahan was oc in washington while mcveigh was a uh, part of the support staff i believe and these their relationship is i'm sure pretty great but there's obviously adversarial i mean mcveigh got hired first well shanahan was the offensive coordinator in atlanta and McVeigh's basically had more success as a head coach up until 2019, but no matter what, Shanahan has absolutely owned the Rams. It doesn't make a difference. This, he is all over McVeigh. So, I mean, I know the streak has to end at some point, but I can't, I really don't see an ending on, uh, on Sunday.
0: Maybe another uh, high floor, low ceiling gambling tip after our first one worked out so well. Hard not sure order. if you listened, Kyle, but Chris was all in on the Steelers to beat the Chiefs. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, I was not oh, all man.
1: in. Let's hold, let's just hold on there. Uh, but I, I'm curious, Kyle, about the the matchup on the offensive side for San Francisco because they did, like you said, like both teams had trouble scoring. I think when you look at the Niners' personnel, you can sometimes see why they might struggle to score a little. So, like, do you, what do you see as? the key sort of offensive factors uh, that are going to let San Francisco hopefully like put some cut, put better than 13 points on the board since I, I feel like the Rams are going to come out firing even against good defenses. Like they hung 30 points on Tampa. I think they can, can score against good defenses.
2: Yeah. The key to the Niners offense under Shannon has always been that like outside zone run, you know, get, get blockers out in front and uh, basically have your your running back, whether it be Elijah Mitchell or Raheem Mostert or whoever, sprint as hard as they can to the edge and try to either take it outside or find a cutback lane. And the reason the Niners couldn't get anything going against uh, the Packers is because their entire offense is based on that outside zone working. When that outside zone doesn't work, because the Packers are able to stack the box, and the Packers are able to stack the box because they know Jimmy has like. Let's be honest, he has a noodle arm, and he can't throw the ball over 15 yards to the, <laughs> to the sidelines in, in adverse weather. That's just the reality. So inside, in that beautiful California sunshine, and where, where Garoppolo is actually able to push the ball downfield as much as he's actually capable, uh, the box will, will be a little bit less busy, and the Niners will be able to run the ball a little bit better, and everything flows from there, the play actions, the reverses. The uh, motioning Debo Samuel from a wide receiver spot to the backfield to run an inside handoff, an outside handoff, all of like in week seventeen, Debo Samuel threw for a touchdown, ran a touchdown in. I mean, all of that is predicated on that outside zone working. And if the outside zone's able to work, then I can't see the up Niners offense having a problem. Although the Rams are excellent. If we're being honest, Aaron Donald has been pretty quiet against this Niners front, and that's partially because they basically don't go at him. They ignore Aaron Donald, they run away from him, they double him, and they dare every other uh, lineman and linebacker for the Rams to beat them, and frankly, I don't think they have the skill.
1: Yeah. Um, just, just one more thing before we, uh, before we end your tenure as a mini guest and hopefully uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to review the tape, but hopefully okay. we'll need it full time. Uh, I was curious, just looking at the numbers, uh, for the game against the Packers, like Jimmy Garoppolo was mostly, I mean, obviously Devo Samuel, as, as he said, he's a wide back, um, <laughs> But it seemed like they were throwing more targets almost to their running backs. Like Elijah Mitchell got four targets, Devo Samuel, who's kind of goes in both directions, had four targets, and then like George Kittle was the only receiver who was really targeted a significant amount beyond that. Like what do you attribute that to? And like do you think we'll see more of Brandon Ayuk next week, or is it just not in their game plan right now?
2: I think it's in part uh because the, the Green Bay secondary is really prolific. The other thing is um, they just – the reality was, like I mentioned earlier, Jimmy can't throw in that weather. He has a, a weak arm, and that's his biggest – you know, other than the mobility, his biggest flaw is the strength of his arm. So, there, yeah, it was a lot of dump-offs. It was a lot of those angle routes coming out of the backfield. It was a lot of check-downs, and that's kind of how the Niners' offense works when they don't have the play action to actually push the ball down the field. Those explosive plays that they generate – Getting Debo out in space, uh, getting Kittle out in space, Ayuk, etc. All those are basically layup throws that Jimmy's able to make because of the play action. I, I'm a Niners fan. I have no qualms about saying Garoppolo is not a great quarterback. He can't fit the ball into those tight windows. He he misses open throws, etc. But Shanahan's office makes it so easy for this guy to play quarterback. Really, anyone to play quarterback. He made Matt Ryan an MVP. Um, that like wow. Shame. When the <laughs> when, when the offense is working, it's super simple for the quarterback, and it's super simple for the wide receivers, and let's just hope that it's working. At least, I mean, I'm hoping that it's
1: working. I feel as though it's an understatement to say that uh, pretty much every football fan, and even non-football fan, is interested uh, in what goes down next week. Kyle Brickman, thank you so much for joining us, for bringing for me someone who knows what they're talking about to the table uh, we're going to take a quick break and we will come back to talk a little basketball on High Floor, Low Ceiling. And welcome back to High Floor, Low Ceiling. That's a Midwest a... <laughs> voice. <laughs> sure, shout out to the Midwest. That's a, a modification of the, uh, the old prospector character that mm. we like to uh, do in my family. Have I ever told you about the Hungry bane Griffin?
0: no you have not
1: the hungry well so as you can imagine my family is like me oh good god which might be scary to you yes uh and we like to do different characters from time to time one of them is the hungry man and yeah but you can guess his primary attribute
0: is he uh always on the prowl for a little grub a little morsel
1: I (laughs) i think he's frequently famished yes um and so i'll i'll give so just just give me a situation, and I'll tell you what the hungry maid would say in in that situation.
0: all right, let's say uh someone suggests that the family goes and watches a movie.
1: It'd be like, uh, only if we can get popcorn,
0: <laughs> oh, so that's man. the hungry, man. yeah,
1: exactly. So he's he's kind of an anti-character in a way. You can see how <laughs> you could just sort of stick him it. into any situation. Um but yes, maybe we'll hear more from the hungry man another time. Uh but for now, we are going to <laughs> finally get to this segment.
0: Before this we the- do, Chris, one more yes. uh little delay. Oh. Please go vote in the poll from yes. last week's episode. You can find it at HFLC Podcast on Twitter. Throw us a follow while you're there. But yes, the two winter teams are up, and I think you all know who to vote for. I'll leave it at that. I won't say anything yes, more. We
1: are, we are dropping early this week, so there is still time for you to go vote in that, uh, in that poll. And like Griffin said, I think you know exactly who the winner is. I'll leave it up to you. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm so glad to hear you agree with me, Chris, that the winner is obvious.
1: I am so glad to hear you
0: agree.
1: <laughs> um But yes, this and and also, I should mention, since we're coming back here, thank you to Kyle Brickman for joining us. I mean, just some fantastic insight on the 49ers. Uh, If they get a W, I think we might see him back, so look forward to that. Yeah, it's funny Uh, that
0: we got rid of the basketball (laughs) raider just before our NBA segment, but you can find Kyle on Twitter at Chucking Bricks, Chuck like Swirsky, followed by ING and then Bricks. Uh, some great, great basketball content it. on there. Some great 49ers content on there. Saw his last tweet was his wordle from yesterday, which was a tough, pain. Tough I'm, I'm now I've I've missed the world two days in a row. I'm upset wow, with myself. Wow, you
1: are losing your mind here. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, obviously yesterday was null. That was a real tough one. Yeah. Uh, the sugar, I should have
0: gotten sugar. today. Yeah,
1: I was actually I was down to the wire with sugar. I don't know what I was thinking. I. I guessed the word auger, which I don't think most people know, I don't think Wordle would choose it. Uh A U G U R. So that was uh that really unlocked something for me, thankfully, because I was down to my final guess. But <laughs> this is not a Wordle podcast. This is not my friend uh Jesse Catherine Weber's poddle where she solves the Wordle every day.
0: <laughs> That's a good idea for a podcast.
1: Uh, it premiered yesterday. She did it mostly whispering because she said that there were people in her house and she didn't want to wake them up. Uh, but at any rate, Griffin, we are de- further delaying a segment that has now been delayed twice uh, because we just enjoy talking too much. This is a the return of a fan favorite segment by me, uh, Rebuild or Reload, Remember we did this a few weeks ago with the uh, with some NFL teams, or I guess months ago now, <laughs> uh, the flow of time. But we are going to do it this time with some NBA teams because it has been a little bit since we talked about the National Basketball Association. So how how are you feeling? Do you feel like you have a good a good handle on the the pulse of the league right now?
0: I do. You know, I am. I don't want to call myself a basketball expert, but I am. And so no. <laughs> Sorry, we'll fly. No, uh, no person, I would say on the planet has more of a handle on the pulse of the league than me right now. I'm going to just basically advise these franchises on the correct thing to do.
1: Yeah. And you should be getting paid for this. It's true. Um, (laughs) I mean the league right now, it's, it's really tight. I mean, you know, you kind of have Phoenix out ahead of everyone. They're 37 and nine, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then, you know, you have you have a lot of teams in the playoff mix, in the contendership mix. Memphis is still holding on to that third seed, which is pretty surprising. Dallas is on a tear. Uh, but we are not going to talk about any of those <laughs> good teams. Uh, we are going to talk about some teams that uh, might be in, uh, you know, if, if Phil Taylor were here, he'd probably say, they're in a spot of trouble.
0: Oh, you're talking about 14-time <laughs> world dart champion Phil Taylor?
1: I've won so many uh, freaking what? What are they? PDC, PDC majors. majors. It's unprecedented. unprecedented.
0: Seventy nine. Good for him. Um, but yeah, rebuild or reload is not about good teams, Chris. They get enough coverage. Rebuild yes. reload is for the little guy.
1: That's exactly right. And speaking of the little guy, let's talk about a little team in the Pacific Northwest, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, they are currently eighteen and twenty five. Is that right? No, no, they are currently twenty and twenty six. I don't know how I got that information wrong. Good start to the segment.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously. Let's reload Damian this Lillard, segment.
1: Oh, it's because I'm looking at the old document, not the new mm-hmm. one. Shows you Damian how long Lillard, it's been since
0: we got a chance to do this segment.
1: Let's share a little peek behind the curtain for the fans. Damien uh, Damian Lillard, he had that surgery a couple of weeks ago. He's been shut down kind of indefinitely. I think he's going to be reevaluated in, you know, three or four weeks. Personally, I would not be surprised if they just kind of soft shut him down uh played for that high lottery pick you know if he played it, let's put the over under let's see they've played 46 games there's 36 left let's let's just cut it in half do you think Damian lillard will play 18
0: more games
1: the rest of the nba season
0: no that's I'm the short you. answer no <laughs> he's he's barely has he even played 18 games yet this season like I'm sure he has he's barely been out there the trailblazers are in a tough position right now which is weird because they have a very talented roster uh you have this note about a later team that we're going to get to chris but the trailblazers for me have a lot of i like that guy guys like lillard and mccollum obviously have not been healthy this year and that's been a big part of the reason they're so bad but norm powell yusuf nurkic like i think they still have robert covington Mm -hmm. um yeah and 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 simons Simons. yeah they have good players Fire, yeah. Fire Billups, maybe? I don't know. I mean, it's
1: pretty possible. I mean, like, Larry Nance has been out as well. He's a pretty solid piece. Uh, He's Nasir another Little. guy who I really like. Yeah. year Little just cooked the Raptors. He was draining threes on them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think what's really surprising to me, especially given the personnel, like, if you're starting Robert Covington and Yusef Nurkic as your, you know, big man, 4-5 position, how are you the 28th ranked defense in the league? How do, like truly? Like, how does that
0: happen? Uh, when you're starting backcourt as Damian Lillard and CJ McCall? I guess so, but like they've been.
1: I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, haven't they been okay other years? I guess not, because now I'm looking back and last year they were the 29th ranked defense. The year before they were the 28th ranked defense, and then yeah, you have to go back to 2019 when they went to that Western Conference Finals against the Warriors to find a year when they were even close to average. So yeah, I guess this has just been their thing for the last couple of years. And I, again, like you look at their personnel and it doesn't quite track. Like Norman Powell is a pretty good defender. Robert Covington obviously was like a yeah, decent, an of excellent at times, defender uh, for the Rockets. And Yusuf Nurkic, you think of as a pretty solid, uh, you know, obviously not a a very versatile or switching big man, but certainly a sort of classical center uh, for them there. So. I guess it's really just that their defense has been bad for the last few years, and it's still bad this year, but their offense is not there either. So they, they've they had a lot of tumult uh, the last year, obviously turning over their whole front office situation. But and that's going to be an issue because Covington and Nurkic both playing on expiring contracts. And I'm interested to hear what you think about Anthony Simons because he has been really strong lately. Do you see him, like, could he get four years,
0: $60 million? Yeah, oh, I think for sure. Like, Simons is the type of guy who I think with all due respect, like, this is, the way I think about the type of guys that Simons is, is, like, it's the type of guy the, Knits, the Knicks would give a big contract to in RFA and then he would never live up to it. Like, Simons to me is that archetypal guy of, like, a backup who everyone think has shown flashes in the opportunities that he's gotten when the starter went down Everyone's like, wow, this guy's the next big thing and the Knicks are like perfect. We're in, and then he doesn't become anything. Yeah, so, I mean But I think someone out there will be desperate enough to give Simons a big deal.
1: Yeah, I, I actually I didn't even realize how, just how good he has been lately because like he wasn't even on the stair when we originally planned to do this segment. But over his last ten games, which obviously, you know, I think McCollum's been a little in and out of the lineup. Lillard has not been playing, but uh Over the last ten games, which goes back to January third, Simons is averaging twenty-five points per game, two point six rebounds, seven assists, uh, and taking ten point six threes a game and shooting forty-four percent from three. So like he has been, yeah, like he he's not only having a breakout year, he has like been going absolutely off lately. And so I think at this point, four sixty might be a bit of like. And, and undersell at this point. I mean, 15 points a game on the season, I think is, is enough to definitely get you there. I mean, is if he's pushing 15, 20 million a year and you have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, like, can you justify keeping him and they just paid Norman Powell?
0: Yeah, it's tough. Like, of course they'd want to, but yeah, the Norman Powell contract is something that they're going to be um, looking at. I think maybe with a bit of regret, as Norm's been fine this year, but he basically scores and does nothing else for you. Plays okay defense. But yeah, I think Simons will get big money from somewhere else, and the Trailblazers won't be able to afford him, especially if they want to keep Nurkic, which I think they should. So I still think the Trailblazers are a reload team to get to the name of the game. Right. There's too much talent on this roster. This. Yeah, you were just, you are so wrapped up in the Portland Trailblazers talk. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like you said, there's a lot to this roster, and if they end up with, uh, a high lottery pick then obviously that could change their fortune where do you stand on the CJ McCollum issue because I have been a trade McCollum person for a long time I'm curious what you think about whether like that backcourt is really going to get you anywhere in the long term
0: I still think they can like they're both so talented at scoring the basketball that I refuse to believe that they can't figure it out there. And of course you need a great wing to play alongside them because in the NBA, everything today happens like all the best players all the best teams have great wings. So the trailblazers feel like they're one like elite small forward away from really becoming a great team. And I think if you keep Nurkic around, you try and get that guy. Um, But then of course that, gets you back to the question of is mccollum's money better spent on a wing than on a small shooting guard
1: yeah it's i'm and again like that gets back to the simons issue as well because he's sort of an undersized shooting guard so they're they have a lot of tough decisions to make i i almost think that trading simons might be the move because he's his value is pretty high right now and i feel like it would be a mistake to keep him like you're putting at that point you're putting like $100 million into two, you know, two, three guards. And then Norman Powell, you can say, is kind of a swing man, but really is more of a guard, I would say. Um, And
0: that's exactly what they did last year with Gary Trent Jr. They had a good young shooting guard going into restricted free agency and chose Mm -hmm. not to keep him and pay him.
1: Yeah. Um, But we'll see how that shakes out. Let's move on to another team. I want us to talk about... A team that is not quite uh, at the bottom of the league. They are now the eighth seed. They are twenty-four and twenty-four is their record. Uh, this is the Boston Celtics.
0: The Boston Celtics. Another one another one of these weird teams this year where you're like, You're better than this.
1: Yes. It I mean I, I do think that their depth is a real problem uh you know this is a team that i was quite high on in the preseason you know i think we we talked definitely talked about this on sort of the the preview show for the nba that this was a team that i was saying you know you have jason tatum you have jalen brown if you have those two guys that should be enough to get you to 45 47 wins right but they're pretty much where they were last year they're around 500 and they're around the eighth seed
0: yeah the celtics i guess yeah, I guess what we just need to come to the conclusion on is that this is a mediocre roster. We've now seen it a couple years in a row. You've got two guys who should be great players. And then you've got like a supporting cast of like Al Horford, who's been playing well for them this year, and Dennis Schroeder, who they got on a good deal. And yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. It it reminds me a lot of Portland, to be honest, except they haven't even had all the health injuries that uh health issues that Portland has. So Boston I mean, you don't want to say rebuild because when you get a player like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, like you rebuild with the hopes of getting players like that. So when you actually have one, it's no easy thing to get away from it. But reloading around them hasn't worked yet. So it's tough yeah. to say. yeah,
1: I do feel like this last offseason was sort of their attempt at a reload. You know, they brought Al Horford in. They got rid of Kemba Walker. They brought in Josh Richardson uh, they brought in Ennis Freedom. Like, got a new coach? Yeah, they got a new coach, as Huey Lewis would say. But yeah, I think that, and, you know, all those guys, uh, and Schroeder as well, all those guys are playing pretty well. Like, I was not expecting Al Horford to be, like, a solid contributor for them, and he has been. Yeah, he's Richardson, getting, like, 11 and
0: 8, I think.
1: Yeah, Richardson's having, like, a bit of a bounce back year. Um, I think I've talked before on this very podcast about Romeo Langford and Aaron Nesmith. They're two first-round picks over the last few years, which have really just
0: not flamed out more or less, or
1: not panned out, certainly. I mean, if, if you can't get minutes for a 500 team, that could be a bit of an issue for you. Um, but yes, the, the the new coach, Ime Udoka, that's a question mark as well. I don't think Celtics fans are particularly happy with him. There was some concern a little while back about him sort of throwing guys under the bus uh, or blaming the players uh, and stuff like that. But I think this really comes down to one question, which is, do they need to trade either Brown or Tatum? Because, again, like this is uh, to go back to the Blazers again. I've sort of been in the camp that trading Jalen Brown might be a better move because uh, partly because there's a lot of overlap in skill sets. Like they're both kind of like it feels like they're the best when they're sort of on the ball. I mean, Jalen Brown's a great off-ball player as well. I think he's a really versatile player, which is great for them. But you know, Jason Tatum hasn't quite been up to snuff. But then they tried to sort of, you know, they've tried two times now to bolster their lineup with a point guard and sort of have that be the solution to their issues. And it's been Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to put it simply. I would, I think. Gun to my head, I would not trade Tatum or Brown. I know that it hasn't worked yet, but it has to. They're both so good that, especially Jason Tatum, that, like, it will work. You got to be – this is one of my mantras when it comes to sports, Chris. Things regress to the mean. The the good players end up on good teams. They make good teams. And eventually, these two guys are so talented that the Celtics will become good with them. They haven't found the right – uh, collection of supporting pieces, but I, I'm sticking with reload for the Celtics for now. Yeah, I mean,
1: I guess I'm in the same boat. It's just hard to see, like, what...
0: It's hard to justify, for sure, because they've tried well, it and it hasn't worked.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, is it is it like a DeMontis Sabonis? Is that the kind of player that they should look to be adding? Like, a third star who sort of does something different for their team that isn't covered by the the, the Jays right now? Because... I don't understand how they're all they're flirting with being a bottom or they are now a bottom ten offense. They're the twenty first offense in the league with two all star caliber players on offense. I mean Tatum hasn't had the best year, but come on, like how are they a bottom ten offense?
0: Yeah, that's crazy. There there's no no right for that. But confusing team up in Massachusetts. So why don't we just go to a team that isn't even in a state, Chris? That'll that'll make it easier for us. The <laughs> Washington Wizards started the season ten and three. Since then, a little little shake, little <laughs> little, shake. little wobble. Um, they've, they've gone thirteen and twenty one since then. They are now below five hundred and barely hanging on to the play in spot. Uh, but Chris, you have this written as a team that looked to be on a positive trajectory and now is yeah. not.
1: No, they certainly, I mean, even, I mean, even in the time that we were playing through this segment, like the last couple of weeks, I mean, they've been okay the last couple of weeks, not as bad as they were sort of in that November, December kind of range, but it it is sad, you know, it always happens. Like, I think the Cavs were in a similar place last year where they were starting out around 500 and then they eventually dropped off. The Cavs are now apparently the real deal. So uh, maybe we can talk about them in a future segment, but yeah, I mean... This it is definitely a team regressing to the mean. Like they obviously weren't a ten and three team. Everyone knew this, um, but they are in a strange situation from a roster construction standpoint because like they they aren't. Qu- I think they what they lack right now is an identity for sure because they yeah. have vet. You know their their big sort of contributors are obviously Beal, who is now a ten year veteran. Uh, Montrez Harrell was a big addition for them. Cantavius Colwell-Pope, like those guys that came over in that Westbrook trade. Um, and those guys are like our veterans now. And even Kyle Kuzma, like this is his fifth year in the NBA. He's almost as old as I am, shockingly, um, you know, turning 27 this year. So you can't really say he's a young guy exactly. And then, you know, Rui Hachimura hasn't played much for them this year. Uh, Denny Avdia has been solid. They have Corey Kispert, the rookie. They have Daniel Gafford, but, like, they can't really decide if what they want exactly. Like, do, is this a team that wants to make the playoffs this year? I don't understand.
0: Yeah, I don't know what to do either, but to me, this is a textbook rebuild team. Like, they got some decent pieces when they traded Russell Westbrook, but and Rui Hachimara, as we said, is... Someone who I'm still excited by and I think can still be quite good, but Bradley Beal, I think, like, it it through no fault of his own and not even through any real fault of the Wizards. You had, of course, the John Wall injuries and all that, but I think it's time for a new era in Washington because, and Bradley Beal could really get you a great, great package.
1: Yeah, I, it's so strange because I don't understand why Beal wants to stay there and I also don't understand why the Wizards would be so dead set on keeping him. Like, I understand sort of like what you were saying about Tatum and Brown, where if you get one of these guys, like, your your, your goal should always be to keep them. I get that. But, you know, this has been 10 years now. They haven't done anything better than a second round exit with uh, with Beal on their team. So at what point do you sort of question that? And, and like you said, like... They have a lot of pieces that I think could get good return on the market. So, I I'm with you as well. I'm I'm a rebuilder for sure. Um, but yeah, there. I mean, and Kyle Kuzma, like, he's been good this year. So I guess he would be like rebuild. the elder statesman.
0: Yeah, rebuild around Kyle Kuzma. I think oh yeah,
1: that's. I think you're exactly right. This is Kuzma's team now. I mean, what else is there really to say about the Wizards? They they have fallen into into a deep hole uh there's one other team that i would like to talk about and that is a team that is similarly in in the doldrums they are 18 and 28 they're the 11th seed in the western conference it is the new orleans pelicans uh and this (laughs) this is a team that has some very clear sort of pivot points if you want to call it that for you know the, the decisions they make around I'd say two players are very crucial here one is Zion Williamson uh, and I feel like the decision that they have to make is pretty clear there uh but 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 I'll throw it to you Griffin do you think that like even despite everything we've seen or not seen from Zion this season you still just throw the biggest possible contract at him this off season right for his extent
0: rookie extension I'm going the other way wow I, I would trade Zion Williamson Wow, just trade it. He's incredible when he's on the court. Like This is nothing against him at all, but it scares me. A player who looks like that, who's built like a defensive lineman, mm-hmm. doesn't look like any NBA player that we've basically ever seen before in terms of that build, and all of the things with them teaching him how to walk and... <laughs> the clips that we've seen of him looking a bit heavier this season as he's trying to been rehab from this injury and the fact that he's missed an entire season so far with a foot injury mm-hmm. i know that you're probably dealing him when his value's lowest first of all and i know that there's a chance that it could come back and bite you in the ass and he could be a great big man in this league for the next 10 years but to me all of the red flags are there and i wouldn't feel comfortable staking my franchise to a guy who just seems like everything about this is begging for a for it to not work out
1: yeah i i do see where you're coming from and it's like it's a really hard thing to to say to make a decision about obviously he missed a ton of time in that rookie season like you said but you know this is a guy that was an all-star at age 20 and now he is you know still still away from his 22nd birthday but like
0: yeah, it's I like feel... the second he steps on the court, you're thinking, how the hell could I ever suggest trading this guy? He's incredible. But it's just how many times will he step on that court? The best ability yeah. is availability.
1: So true, King. Um, but yeah, the 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 health is a big issue. Uh, obviously, you know, for big men, it's always like the feet, the knees, that kind of area. So it definitely is worrying that... Yeah, and that's where yeah, his
0: problems are.
1: Yeah, that he's had foot foot surgery right um yeah and then had a setback and all this stuff like it's it's a i mean coming off of anthony davis it's a pretty tough situation for pelicans fans um and i don't i just don't think that they can really consider trading him but i do i do see your logic there and i do think that that could very well be a big problem for them in the future Uh, They signed Jonas Valanciunas to an extension, which is looking great. He's having a great year. Josh Hart is having a great year, weirdly. Uh, Devontae Graham, that was a signing that was confusing at the time, and I still don't quite get. But I think the real question you have, I mean, I guess even more so uh, because you want to trade Zion Williamson. I just wanted to get that down on paper again.
0: I mean, it's easy for me to say because I don't lose my job if it doesn't work out. Yes,
1: it's it's certainly a very controversial opinion, but it is, I think your take is certainly uh, rooted in some very reasonable, you know, not not assumptions, but speculations as to what Zion's career could turn into. It's
0: real world facts pushing my gut in a direction.
1: Yes, I I see where you're coming from for sure. Uh, But the other big question mark, if you're talking about the rebuild versus reload, is Brandon Ingram. Uh, Because, you know, he has obviously, you know, he's sort of fringe all-star territory. It feels like we've sort of seen the best of him. Like, you know, not that he's going to fall off suddenly, but it feels like we've pretty much seen him at his best. You know, he's going to be around 25 points a game, five rebounds, five assists, which is like really solid numbers. Uh, Maybe a bit of a question mark on defense. Maybe a bit of a question mark in terms of how much he's contributing to winning. Um, But, I mean, I I feel like I already know your answer if you want to trade Zion Williamson. But, you know, you have three more seasons of Brandon Ingram. Let's just say that they're keeping Zion because I think they probably will keep him uh, regardless of whether they should or not. But are you keep or trade on Brandon Ingram in that case if you're trying to sort of build this team around Zion.
0: I'm a big Brandon Ingram guy. I think he works with Zion really well. If you're keeping Zion, I think you have to keep Ingram as well. And there's your core. You've got two young one young All-Star and another young guy who can play like an All-Star and I think has been an All-Star, hasn't he, Yep, in 2020 he was an All-Star. Two young All-Stars. What more could you possibly want? So if you've decided that your window is going to move with Zion Williamson and you're not going to restart it, then Brandon Ingram I think is going to keep that window open as well and his sweet shot and his uh, movement and his long frame I think pair with Zion really well. So I'm a big Brandon Ingram guy.
1: Yeah, I do just question a little whether that, because their supporting cast is just so strange, like, they have a lot of young guys, but they also have a lot of guys that seem sort of (laughs) deeply flawed in one way or another, like, they have Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who, you know, is obviously, you know, he can score at times, he's definitely had some big efficiency problems this year, Um, we saw him with Team Canada, how good he could be there, but... I I don't really see him as a lead guard and kind of a playmaker for others. You have Kira Lewis, who I also am not quite sure if he's much of a playmaker. He has is now out for the season. And you know, they, they have really strong rookies like Herb Jones has been amazing for them. Trey Murphy has been really solid. Like those are the kind of pieces that they can sort of put around Zion and potentially Ingram. But I do feel like the guard situation is really what's going to come back to bite them in the end because yeah. Zion, you know, Zion has some playmaking ability for sure. He showed that last year, but it's it's two guys that I would not really want as like my primary offensive initiator.
0: That's why I'm still sort of surprised that not only did they not re-sign Lonzo Ball, people treated it as a foregone conclusion for a year that they weren't even interested in offering Lonzo ball. Like they wouldn't have signed him on a minimum contract. Like I, in the end they didn't sign him and that's fine. But like, it seemed like it was so long coming that he was going to leave new Orleans. And I never understood that because I thought he paired with Zion so well.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, from, from my understanding, talking to, to Pelicans fans and they do exist. Um, <laughs> I think that people in within the Pelicans saw Lonzo as like well I, th- I think people in the Pelicans felt that people outside of the Pelicans fandom overrate Lonzo in terms of his point guard abilities because and that they saw him more as like his best role when he was on the Pelicans and even now like you know he's having a really solid season he's averaging 13-5-5 but you know he was getting comparisons to like Ricky Rubio at times when he was coming into the draft and I don't think he is that kind of like pure pass first player like you look at the, the Bulls and it's like every guy in their starting lineup or like every, you know, significant minutes guy is averaging like four or five assists. Even Vucevic is averaging three and a half assists. So like,
0: yeah, the Bulls are so fun to
1: watch. Yeah. The, that's a great team. But I think that that is sort of the issue that like Lonzo is not really that pass first point guard that he might've seemed like when he was coming to the league, I think he might be more of a, a three point, you know, kind of wing shooter and wing defender and I think maybe that's why they sort of were shying away from committing to him long term.
0: All right. Fair. fair.
1: <laughs> Fine. But um, but you're still yeah, on so team. I... Well, I mean, you're, you're either team completely rebuild and trade Zion Williamson or your team reload around the main two guys.
0: Yeah, I might honestly trade Zion but not trade Brandon Ingram. But that wasn't one of the options you gave me.
1: So. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's talk about this. That's crazy.
0: Brandon Ingram's a star, Chris. I'm a wow. big
1: Brandon Ingram guy. That is crazy to me. I will be sure to share. He's still so young. Sure. I mean, sure. Uh, I will share this around the Pelican's Twitter. I'm sure you'll be very popular there. <laughs> um, but that's going to do it for this edition of NBA Rebuild or Reload. Uh, some, some tough decisions on that one. But that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Do not forget, well, first of all, do not forget to vote in the poll uh, yes. on, on Twitter at HFLC Podcast. Tell us which one of us made the better winter activity team, and go listen to that episode if you haven't, because... You know uh, which one
0: made the better winter activity team.
1: Yeah, you know. The 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 truth will come out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but go listen to that one, because that was a great episode, uh, at least in my humble opinion.
0: One of my all-time uh, faves, which yes. this was not. No,
1: I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> uh feel free and please do rate and review us on apple podcasts and spotify give us five stars give us 10 stars whatever is available please to you. maximize please i'm sorry i didn't say the magic word
0: oh no i, I meant to say it like pleadingly not like oh, okay. <laughs> I, uh, didn't, I didn't come off of it's okay it's okay hey all right It's okay. Hey, hey. thank you hey right. <laughs> you can follow griffin
1: <laughs> at griffin porter 97 on twitter you can follow me at C. House and Jane on Twitter. Uh, what all else? The yeah, Twitter,
0: oh, TikTok, yes. All the show on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, all at you. HFLC Podcast.
1: Yes, thank you to everyone who uh, who checked out those platforms. Those are those have been fun, and we will definitely be continuing to use those. So check us out there as well. Uh, but for now, we will say goodbye. We will be back next week. We'll be, t- I assume, talking uh, the afc and nfc championship games and probably something else as well so look forward to that but for now keep your i always forget how to do this keep your floors floors high high and your ceilings
0: low thanks for listening thank you yeah you did we love you we do